Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rents, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Starting off on a positive note, let's talk injury. So here's the names that I put together. It was just a bit of a like mental model in the back of my head as I was going through the, a list that was on MLB.com uh, of basically like, does this guy matter? And how long is he out for? There are a couple of people that are maybe going to miss the start of the season who was like, I, I, I don't know if this really matters. Uh, but I got Kirby Yates, Nick Anderson, Jonathan Hernandez, Zach Gallen. Eloy Jimenez, David Price, Carlos Carrasco, Chris Davis, and then George Springer, Juan Soto. And that mental model, <laughs> real boost for how how high you were drafted. So Springer and Soto, even though they're going to miss a couple days, really important to know about. Some yeah. players who are going to miss a couple days, not so important. What's your opinion on the David Price thing? Because we talked about this. <laughs> we talked about David well, Price. Well, there was <laughs> sort of... Um, I'm not too concerned about it right now. Uh-huh. I'm not concerned about it right now. What's our What's our bet box again? Some absurd number of starts that he's definitely not going to get to. Like 22. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Who knows? I mean, if he misses just the start of the season, then he's all set. I mean, it could be fine. If he misses the start of the season and the Dodgers build their build their roster, they're bringing him back 100 percent as a reliever. I just don't think that that's going to happen. Okay, Dodgers have so many good arms. <laughs> Dodgers always have players who are who are hurt and babied. So well, that that is true. They 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 could all they could all go down. Um, Carrasco, thoughts there? I mean, I this is what I expected. Okay, all right. <laughs> I like Carrasco as a talent, but it always seems like he can't quite get in sync, like between his injuries and then like whatever else. He just can't quite get in sync for seasons. So and being on the Mets. Wearing that orange jersey, it just didn't, didn't want to play. Anybody else? You like Carrasco more than I like Carrasco. Well, okay, yes, I do. I um, I like Carrasco for the strikeout total. I mean, it's the same reason. Yeah. It's the same reason that I like any of these, really, any of the pitchers that you've got on the list here. Um, I like I like him for the strikeout total. And that's it, really. And so, and if especially in something like a like a roto where you're missing out on that, like their value is is much lower to me. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I agree Nick on Nick Anderson. I was surprised yeah. on the Nick Anderson piece. I was there, there's always so much there already so much doubt about his role. Mm-hmm. And now pff, wow, he has no value. I agree with that. Feels like he has no map value. I agree with that. Your opinion on the I mean you, you already alluded to this, Springer and Soto. Uh any any thoughts on reevaluating there? You worried? I feel like there's a chance that there's going to be there. There's and then there's probably a player that I've missed. One of them could have serious con- consequences that end up like derailing their season. I would put my bet on Springer, but I mean, if Soto doesn't hit 340, I feel like there's going to going to be people who are going to go for his head in the fantasy community. 
I mean, we, we talked about this in the in the draft thing. I mean, the, the risks of the top of the draft is dominated by guys with relatively short track records, right? Yeah. So Yeah. We're gonna talk about one at the end of this pod. So they they need to realize you know, they need to realize that value where people are gonna feel cheated, even though they should not feel cheated, because there's there's not a great reason to think that the long track record. There's no surety. Yeah. There's no surety. Yeah, Tatis is the other one that I didn't put in here that I probably should have put in here. Um, do you want to talk at all about DC and Marvel and the just amount of content that there is out there that we have mostly ignored in an otherwise nerdy podcast setting? <laughs> um, you're saying that for completists, we need to address the uh, behemoth in the room, the cultural behemoth in the room. Should we? I mean, you, you and I both, I think, for not being comic book people, we still really like Nolan's uh, Batman. Yeah. Right? And those were good by themselves. And then it's like, and then you have, we've had three Batmans <laughs> since then. Yeah. I, I, and a Lego one. It's, it's tough. I mean, I, I like, I like the different ways that people can tell stories. Like I appreciate it from something of an academic perspective. I think the worlds are really interesting. I think the Marvel world is really interesting especially um i think dc doesn't quite know what they're doing which i mean this isn't we're not breaking out a new ground here right everybody knows this <laughs> i think that individually they are better individually the superheroes in dc are better sure i i think that's i mean you batman is number one it's you just drafted one soto and then it's <laughs> like with marvel it's like we're, you're not even going to allow to draft someone. You traded away your first round pick. Well, see for three fifth round. But I don't think that's true, as long as you can pick X Men. That's true. You're right. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe Wolverine is like drafting story in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I'm saying is that I I, I understand that. Dra- no, drafting Wolverine is like drafting a pitcher in the first round. It's like no, I'm going to be that guy. I understand. I'm going to be that guy. I'm just saying that I, I understand Batman goes first. Sure. But I'm just saying I would be the guy who Professor zagged and X. took Magneto. For sure. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go Josh Hader here. Right right here. <laughs> second round. Yeah. That's that's Magneto. Uh, anyways, I guess well, I guess all I was trying to say, we, we can't really put together anything cogent, is uh, there's so much GD comment, co- uh, content right now. It's It's true that if you... You know, if we ever needed an injection of fantasy, this is a this is a deep bench. I just I'm just drowning in it. I can't. Any time that I like look at it, I'm like, I kind of want to get into. Nope. Here's a five hour movie, four and a half hour movie. Today we're going to talk about a tool that I built last week and used when we were talking about uh, valuing players. We're going to dig into it a little bit more, ask how we can improve it, ask how we can use it this year, and then I want to try and ask how we can make sort of an equivalent metric for pitchers to predict innings pitched like we have, like we're slowly working towards for plate appearances on the batters here. Mm -hmm. So here we go. I, right, the long-term goal of this project is to first principles predict how many plate appearances a guy is going to get. Sure. So that's, that's like the long-term goal because the thing that I don't like about our lineups or about our projections is that we have to steal plate appearances from somewhere. 
And I would just like to have, I mean, I love wisdom of the people. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, taking the average of a bunch of people's predictions is probably going to central limit theorem out to what we want it to be. But if we could do it from scratch so that I really felt like I understood where the numbers were coming from, I'd be much happier. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you'd individually make a lot of predictive um, positive noise. I mean, as you're saying, central uh, limit theorem, we're doing pretty good of sort of getting <laughs> our predictions right. But if you look at each one individually, there's so much room for us to say, to just tinker around and be like, oh, that's a, that is a hundred at bats off. We do this all the time with our over-unders. It's a hundred points, a uh, hundred at bats off. And you're right. As, as I keep on pushing you, we need to like in season update our projections. And to do that, we need to have better tools to evaluate by like week three, <laughs> whether a player is going to be getting um, more or less at bats, played appearances. Right. And th this is the fundamental tool that helps us do that because, because the sticking point in case it, to make it perfectly explicit, the sticking point in projecting, uh, fixing our projections during the season is that we would have to go and scrape new plate appearances from somewhere. Right. Yeah. Cause otherwise, otherwise they're just, well, a, that's fine. otherwise they're just a train yeah. that's running. <laughs> right. Yep. Through the season. Yeah. We're just going back to what they said, what we said in the preseason, which would be ridiculous. Right. So this, this is a first stab at that. And so what I did was I took, I took every starting lineup from 2020 and I tabulated it. Um, or I, I, built a, I built a data frame just for you out of this. Uh, and looked at where guys fell in the, the batting order. So I made two products. Um, and we'll probably link to this. So the first one is for each team, I asked what was their typical 2020 lineup. That is, for for each spot one through nine, which guy appeared there the mo in the most number of games? There is a slight there is a slight problem with this, which is that some teams were so mercurial that guys appear multiple spots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Kansas City, which is perfect. Whit Merrifield, Alberto Mondesi, Salvador Perez. That's pretty much stuck. And then number four is Michael Franco. And then number five is. Michael Franco. And then number six is Alex Gordon. And then number seven is Alex Gordon. Then number eight is Nicky Lopez. Number nine is Nicky Lopez. So unfortunately, we have three players back to back to back who are getting switched. So, right. So my, my question, what, my first question to you, first puzzle that we need to figure out is, what does the concept of a typical lineup actually mean? Because I told you what the algorithm was, which was, who started at the most, who hit that spot in the lineup the most in each, uh, for the whole season, the most number of games. But what you find is that because the, because the Royals cycled through a bunch more guys that, that only got say half the at-bats of Nicky Lopez, you don't have, you don't have a, a typical guy who is hitting nine because they were cycling through four guys really in that spot. Right. So Mikel Franco is really 4.5. 50 percent of the time he's not four 26 percent of the time number five 30 percent well of the let time. me introduce you to the next thing have you clicked on the kc hyperlink yet i am now yeah. okay so the other product that i made is i show you for every player who started a lineup spot 
who, who started a game for them, where they were tagged in the lineup. So you can see the distribution here of, of where they batted in the lineup and then the total number of games that they started. So if we take the Michael Franco, actually the distribution is pretty crazy. It's like four, some four, some five, some six, some seven. So you can see that Michael Franco gets two spots just because he played so many more games than Ryan O'Hearn, who proportionally hit fourth in the order more frequently. Okay, I'm starting to understand what this is. And then Alex Gordon, he's a pretty good distribution around number six. He played a little five, a little six, a little seven, yeah. depending on how much he pissed everyone and off. And just because he played so many more games. I mean, Alex Gordon. you can see, so I can imagine comboing these, right? So you take the top nine guys from this and make a lineup out of that. So, yeah. so the, the typical lineup for them really includes like Whit Merrifield, Adelbilter Mondesi, Michael Franco, Nicky Lopez, Alex Gordon, Hunter Dozier, Jorge Soler, Salvador Perez, Ryan O'Hearn, in some order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then so I built this. I built this for every player for every team. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good thing it's automated. Well, you see some interesting stuff. I mean, you see like I don't know in some weird scenario where Matt Reynolds suddenly plays a lot more for Kansas City, they appear to only start him at spot number six. <laughs> like he will bat sixth <laughs> in the order. Most likely, though, yeah. But then, then you get into it, and you're like, "Well, if he's batting more, why is he batting more? Is he actually going to be number six if he bats? If he was batting, if he was doing 140 games this year, would he still be six? Well, I mean, so that's a really deep question because that really asks what the fundamental distribution that underlies each one of these guys looks like, right? right. In the like we talked about this in the in the synthetic drafts. Like if you drafted a million times, how many times is Juan Soto going number six? Yeah, and then if you played a million seasons, how many times is uh, <laughs> Bubba Starling actually getting only only playing a third of the season and batting eighth? Well, Bubba Starling did. Bubba I mean, Starling. he did. He did appear in one game at number five and one game at number six. Just saying. Yep. Jorge Soler, where is he going to end up in that? Well, that's the thing is that when you start to look at these distributions, some teams it's very obvious what their like actual typical distributions should be. Mm -hmm. But a team like Kansas City, it's not actually clear because you know we gave a good list where you're like, okay, well, Whitmerfield, Adalberto Mondesi, Salvador Perez, great, one, two, three, and then you look, then you look at the distributions and you're like, wait, but Jorge Soler is basically hitting two, three, or four when he's in the lineup. So how do we, like, yeah. so what do you do? How do we restructure this lineup to make sense? Right, and Hunter Dozier is two, three, a very rarely, less less often four, but then five, a lot. So I guess Hunter Dozier is going to be number five. Right, so it's kind of like, yeah, that's, it's an interesting question. Yeah. But that's the thing that you'd like to automate to really make the predictive lineups, because then you'd really want to understand like, oh, Jorge Soler is going down for a period of time. What does that mean for the shuffling around of the rest of the lineup? Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we're, we're going to predict out the rest of the season. So I think there's a lot you can do with this. It, and it gets complex pretty quick. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out what's, I mean, I think, I think diagrams like this are useful because they show you at least a vision of where they think a guy's going to hit. But the prediction is going to be really hard. Yeah, it's not there, and there's not going to be a lot of certainty. No matter how we how we shave it, there won't be a lot of certainty in what we put together. 
do we want to put together i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest this and you're gonna say yes um are we putting together the monte carlo simulation that will give us what what the lineup looks like to make sure that we don't have the repeating because that's the big thing if we're gonna have if we're gonna have this product where we have this is what the starting lineup typically is we cannot have repeated people so i I'm actually going to surprise you here and say that I don't think Monte Carlo is exactly the right way to go because, okay. because Monte Carlo is really good is really good when the errors aren't correlated, but here the lineups are incredibly correlated. Right. So I, I don't, this is, this is a problem where I'm sure that this is well studied, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do right now because the, Every, the lineups are so correlated that you can't just move. I'm looking at the Dodgers right now. They're incredibly complex because they have a really wide distribution of guys. But as soon as I find one of these, you're well, the, just the White Sox are the, the White Sox. I had a very specific point that I wanted to make, but the Dodgers, LAD, have a very interesting, ha, have really interesting distributions. Where if you look at Max Muncie, he bats basically every spot in the order with like similar frequency <laughs> maybe a small peak at four but but that's going to be really correlated with say whether cody bellinger's in the lineup or well whether aj pollock is actually playing <laughs> right yeah yeah because they have their prototypical lineup of one is mookie Betts, two is Corey seager three is justin turner and then four is cody bellinger that's what they want to do and then max muncie though is I guess, wow, he played the most of any of these guys Yeah, last year. So then he's slotting in wherever they need him based on, okay, Cody Bellinger's out. All right, well, okay, put him at four. And then Mookie Betts is out. And then instead of them changing up everybody else's lineup position, they're like, okay, well, Maxie, Mun- Ma- Maxie Muncie <laughs> <laughs> can, can bat anywhere. Enrique Hernandez will not bat anywhere but eight. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I guess my, my worry is that when you try and build a Monte Carlo simulation of these guys, that there's there's so much correlation. Like when you just p- extract AJ Pollock from the lineup, like what does it mean for where everybody else has to slot in now? And mm-hmm. or you know when you when you extract Justin Turner from the lineup, who only played in three quarters of the games last year, like what does that mean for the rest of the lineup? Yep. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I'm obviously willing to try Monte Carlo. I just think, I, but I think that there's something more fundamental that I need to figure out here. Well, I think that, I think, what is it? There is an ordinal ranking to this. Sure. Because you do want, the, the manager does want to have the person who bats first bat more. Yeah. So there's not, there's not some sort of like, there's not much more magic to it than that, right? No, I mean, yeah, so this is really a tool. So we, we don't have to overthink it of like each one of these each one of these batting orders is like that is how do I how am I trying to say this? Because there is a tiering, you want to have number 1 bat more. Ergo, the person that bats number 1 more often should be number 1. Then you don't have to consider okay, well um I don't know. Sorry, I I'm I have like I can see the edges of a solution, but then I don't know how we're going to actually put That's it That's basically where I'm at, too. I mean, we're trying to build a machine learning model that predicts the manager's head, right? 
mm-hmm. is what we're trying to do. You know, it's kind of like a thing where you're saying, well, you've got this pool of available players. How do you want to slot them together? But we're also seeing that this could evolve over the course of a season, which is part of the challenge. And really what we're talking about is that we want to, what we're talking about is actually even a level more complex because what we want to do is build this tool Forecast. every single day, update this to update mm-hmm. this pool every single day with every 2021 game and try and be on top of where guys' distributions are going to go. Right, right, exactly. It's a forecasting yeah. tool. And that's what makes it more more difficult. It's not just a, oh, hey, look at this. I mean, we're just, we're struggling with how to display it as like, this is what did happen yeah. <laughs> last year. And we don't know how the heck to display it. So then how are we going to be able to use that going forward? Because, yeah, that's where the two of those, that's where the my physics example comes in. How do you relate? This is what we're going to forecast the lineup to be over the course of the year. And then back it into... Well, this is how many how many played appearances we're going to get for this specific player. Yep, and I don't know the answer to that <laughs> yet. Well, I think that we need to start with how do we get an actual lineup card. Okay. We can't have the situations where okay, what's the um, where's Chuasa Chuasa? You got second from the bottom. Oh, bastards! There they are. No, that wasn't a good example. There was one, I was looking at one where, oh, well, I guess maybe it's the Los, Los Angeles Dodgers. Max Muncy does not appear. He's the, he's the guy. Does not appear here. the guy here. who played the most games for them. Played the most not games, in does not appear here. In, in what work? yeah. So, so that is the solution. It's the Max Muncy solution but, that we are searching but for. It's, this is where I sort of think that it's an ill-defined problem because if I said to you, what's Max Muncy's typical spot in the lineup? Like, what, what's the answer? Well, that's, that's what we have to yeah. figure out. How do, we, how do we define that clearly? But I, I think that Max Muncy's typical spot in the lineup is probably ends up being five, right? And that's, that's where we need to think about it, not, in, not that each one of these is special, but given the, given the tools for the season, where would he end up being? And it would probably end up being five because Mookie Betts will bat number one. Corey Seager will bat number two. Justin Turner will bat number three. Cody Bellinger is going to bat four. Cody Bellinger will bat and number four. They Muncy will five. try yeah. to do that. And then you slot, slot Muncy five. So you, we need to be considering this of like, what are the options at this position in the batting order? Who is the best choice? Let's go to the next one. So once we have Mookie Betts assigned to number one, he is not going to be batting number two. We know that. And then what's the best choice? Always trying to make sure that players who are eligible are going to be there. Because we don't want Matt Muncy, Max Muncy played, of all eligible players, played the most at seventh, even though he batted first. Yeah. Yeah. I think that about brings us to the review session. Boba Shet. I'm very sorry to have said my thought, my you know, word association with Boba Fett because I really can't not think of it now. Anyway. It is. It's right there. It's Bo right there. Bichette of Bo the Bichette. <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays, part of this part of this club of uh, sons of famous baseball players, right? <laughs> that the Blue Jays are Team Nepotism. The Blue Jays are building. Eh, fair enough. Okay. Twenty twenty. I mean your immediate thought that he has a short track record, take all of this with a grain of salt. Twenty twenty. Well, yeah. 29 games, 
he so he's got 128 play appearances. He plays less than half of an already very short season. In that, he only hits five home runs. He's got 18 runs. He's got 23 RBIs, four stolen bases, and a 301 average. And yet, where is he being drafted? What was his ADP? I mean, it's incredibly high. It is very high. It is. Oh yeah, let's, let's go find him. I mean, if you if you take his entire MLB career, he's only got 16 MLB home runs in 75 games, which is which is pretty good, sure. But this is a short track record. Number 23. For some for somebody that's only hit, I mean, I know I'm just going to harp on this number, but somebody that's only hit 16 home runs, that's pretty crazy, ever in the MLB. Yeah, it's, 23 he was he's picked number 23 can he, po- can that he is possibly wild. actually return that value <laughs> yes okay he could you think so he from could. watching him you think so i think that he could is it likely no, okay i don't think that it's likely I, he's a, he is the classic kind of guy that i will miss i will miss the year that he makes the jump if he ever makes a jump but it's the same reason that i never had rg3 ah, <laughs> sure because he because he actually has to make the year that everybody was like <laughs> He has to actually make the jump. I mean, there, I'm sure I could come up with another uh, baseball player, but I had that this morning of like, wow, this is like the RG3 kind of guy where it was like, we thought this is going to be, this is going to be the year that we should be drafted number one. And then he was never fantasy relevant. So I, I don't, we can't even, I can't even look at baseball savant because there's not enough information here for us to go off of. Yeah, I mean, are his percentile rankings converged? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no way. This this walk percentage, it's really low. Of course, it's really low. He didn't play any games. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're talking. I mean, you're talking single digits. I think. Yeah, five walks. So it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what should I make of that? Also, I mean, everything on baseball savant is a lie. We don't know what we can trust. What we can't. Oh man, six foot. No way, no way in heck is he six feet tall. Why? And 185 Why? Pounds. I completely agree with that. <laughs> that's like, that's like what the Toronto Blue Jays were just like. We he hasn't he hasn't reported to camp for us to measure him. Just put him down in I don't know six foot, 185 pounds. That, that, sounds that like is like average white that, guy size. That is like I'm just gonna go with complete average. <laughs> just throw it out there. Who cares? You know, that is what average white guy goes in and is. And is putting down his information for his um, driver's license, and he's like, <laughs> "Brown hair, six foot, one eighty-five. Yeah, sure, fine." I I don't know about you, but I watched. I you know when I watch these guys, I I watch their home runs. That's my favorite thing to do. You know, I feel like I learn a lot about it watching is, guys by their home runs. His are not really no. They're not no doubters for sure. Oh no, <laughs> no, he's got. He's got a little hop to him when he hits when he hits anything, and you're like, but you're gonna have to control that <laughs> to actually get those home runs out of there most of the time. But yeah, they're not no doubters. I also noted every one of his hits sounds like it's a cracked bat. That hit. was a good note. That's and a you're great looking note. at it, and you're like, how did he actually make contact with that ball? How did it pop from there to there? I don't so know. His last year he hit 301 average, and just watching him by eye. It, he just doesn't look like a 300 hitter. How's he doing? No. no. I mean, is I guess my real no, question is, he doesn't. is he going to hit 300 this year? Over, under 300. I'll take the, I'll take the under, you take the over. Let's Jeez. do it. <laughs> I, I don't really want the under. I don't really want the over. 
I, I really don't, want, don't want the over on, on that. I I mean, what, what do we think of realistic averages for him? It's just hard to believe that that's... I, I don't know. Could he be a 280 hitter? Yeah, sure. I, mm-hmm. I believe that. 280 hitter with limited power. He's going to have to make a decision this season. If he's to play um, more than 140 games, he's going to have to make a decision whether he wants to hit for average or hit for power. Let me just tell you... I don't think that he can that in our projections... 619 plate appearances is what he's being predicted for. That would be more than double. That would be double his, basically double his all MLB total. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's going to, he's going to increase his track record by three times at the, by the end of the season. And so we, I mean, we do forecast him pretty well. So 302 average in the forecast because we only have this data to go on and that's what he's done. 20 home runs. 70 runs, 72 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. That's fine, actually. I think that projection, but that's not that's not drafting me number 23 overall. And drafting him number three, six. Well, I mean, six shortstop off the... Is it six? six uh, right? This is six. Well, this is fifth off the board because we did a random. Oh, yeah. this is fifth. Fifth but off the board. That's yeah. even more remarkable. Um, fifth off the board? <laughs> at shortstop. Yeah, we're just throwing cold water here, but I... I think that the expectations are really high, and you if if you're picking them there, then you have to be feel like you're seeing something. So where would you have other than the last? Where name? would you have drafted him? Like, you know, hypothetical scenario, he just continues to fall. I mean, where where do you pick him? He's getting picked over Vlad Guerrero Jr., who I would say is more likely to be to have a really um, he's somewhere in that fifty range when you start seeing. A lot of the guys, like I think Marcel eh, Zuna is a bad example. Um, I see Bregman here at 36, Tim Anderson, Whit Merrifield, Starling Marte, George Springer. Those are guys that it's like, I know what I'm going to get. And I'd kind of rather that certainty. Um, but JT Rail Muto, well, I'll take him over Rail Muto, that's for certain. <laughs> um, Lance Lynn, probably take him over him. Claver Torres. Jordan Alvarez, Javier Baez. So I'm looking at like somewhere around 50, and I, that's probably where I would have okay. taken him. And then shortstops, definitely above Javier Baez, but that's maybe less about potential than who they are. But I'm just looking at the next three guys, Xander Bogarts, Adalberto Mondesi, and Corey Seager, and even Tim Anderson. I, those guys just feel like a more... Poor Tim. Poor Tim I hear like Tim Anderson... <laughs> Tim Anderson, maybe number two, <laughs> probably number one, but maybe number two among shortstop. Yeah, I Manny Machado. What? I mean, you're, you're I mean, just, I mean, you're just I, all I'm saying is that you're relying on a lot. We are a data-driven podcast, and you're relying on a lot of scouting reports. Don't have the data. Where would you take him? No, I I think that's right. I mean, all, all the names that you threw, I would take. I would. I agree that I would. I would hesitate less, and I would take him over Lance Lynn, but. All right, so on on the shortstop side, side well, I, I assume you wouldn't take him over. I would Bogarts. not take him over Bogarts. No. Mondesi, no. Seager. I would take him over Seager. I think. Here's the variance. I see the I see the distributions now, like forming here. Tim Anderson. Well, come on, I like I like Tim Anderson way more than I like Seager. Or, ah, uh, it's a tough one against Mondesi. Flavor Torres. Well, I take him over Torres. Okay, but Manny Machado. I wouldn't take him over Manny Machado. Bias. I'd take him over Bias. Swanson. I'd take him over Swanson. Correa. Yeah, I'd, take, I'd think, yeah, Correa. Bregman. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, so you're they 
distribution is starting to, I mean, throwing out Tim Anderson is somewhere around eight. You might consider taking them and you definitely take them by number 13 of the shortstops. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully admit that I am a cautious, I'm cautious about these things. I am cautious about when there is not a track record. Who are we doing next week? Moving on to Xander Bogarts. Xander. Xander Bogarts. Fun. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah.